Hello and welcome to the 10 to Track. This is our weekly World Match Previews podcast. I'm your host, Soccer Noob. I'll be joined, as always, by my nine-year-old daughter, Person Noob. Hello! Now, our show's name is a bit of a mouthful. What exactly does it mean? Well, we are going to do many previews of the 10 most important matches in the entire world as we define them, and we probably do it a little bit differently than a lot of places. Now, we are going to be looking at matchups between the best teams from the Premier Leagues, from lots of different countries, not just the biggest countries. I mean, all over the world. This podcast, we're going to hit nations from every single confederation. Now, national team and international club tournament matches will also sneak their way in. I do want to throw in one particular caveat for this, and this will affect a couple other episodes. The very, very biggest leagues in Europe, we're not going to talk about those four or five yet. I like to wait till leagues are about five matches into the season so we know which matches are truly going to be most important. In any case, we're also going to do our usual Super Fun 3 bonus matches at the end of the podcast. You'll see or hear, I should say, later on. This week, we're going to be talking about matches from Friday, August 13th through Thursday the 19th. And so, with more, no more further ado, let's dive right in with... March number one! We will keep the 10 to track chronologically oriented as always. However, we don't have any Friday matches again this week. None of those happen to make our cut. So, our first one on Saturday, we're headed to CONMEBOL. That's South America's confederation. Specifically, the top league in Brazil, where they call it the Serie A. A note about what is at stake. Well, the top six teams at the end of the year get to go to South America's Champions League, though there they call it the Copa Libertadores. Even the next six teams in the league, this is a very big league, 20 teams, get to go to the secondary international club tournament, the Copa Sudamericana. They're about halfway through the season, and we have a mighty important match here in terms of the league trophy, which is very hard to win. There are a lot of good teams down there. Number one, Atletico Monairo taking on second place currently, Palmyras. Now, right now, uh, Monairo lead by two. Palmyras, in turn, lead uh, a team that I don't think I've seen up near the top of the standings very much in the last few years that I've been following, at least, Fortaleza. In any case, Palmyras won their home match 2-1 to against Monairo earlier this season. Now it'll be time to see if Atletico can return the disfavor, so to speak. As far as the series, Monairo lead in their most recent matches with an 11-7-6 record. And if you want to catch this, Paramount Plus has been picking up leagues like crazy all over the world. You can catch this there. 6 o'clock Eastern time is going to be the kickoff. First, we'll talk a little bit about Atletico Monairo. They are known as the Rooster. I like singular mascots. Don't know why. They play out of the city of Belo Horizonte, which is in the southeast part of the country. Metro area of about 6 million people. It's the sixth biggest metro in the country. Side note, because of course, as always, I like to use following footy as an excuse to learn things about art, architecture, in this case, music, and oftentimes food, all over the world. If you're a heavy metal fan, thank Bella Horizonte for probably the best-known band to come out of there. And there have been a lot of them. Uh, Sepultura, even an old noob has heard of them. Now, this team, they're really going to be having a tough week. They're about to face the number one rated team in all of South America out of Argentina, River Plate, in the Copa Libertadores quarterfinals. And then now they also have this uh, one-two matchup to be facing off on. They won the Champions League back in 2013. Their last appearance was in 2019 after a number six finish in the league, and they got the country's very last berth and made the group stage. Their only league title, oddly enough, you have to go all the way back to 1971. Last year, they finished in third place. This year, statistically, they are a stalwart on defense. They've only allowed 11 goals in 15 matches. That is number one in the league. They also have a top five offense, and they are tied for number one in goal differential. Number three, league leading scorer to watch out for in the box score, and he's tied for second place on assists for the entire country, is he who is singularly named Hulk. Uh, if you follow footy anywhere in the world, there's a good chance you've uh, heard of this guy, seen him play. Uh, in more recent years, he's played for uh, Porto in Portugal's Primera Liga. Uh, the top flight over in uh, Russia, he played for Moscow Zenit, and even most recently for Shanghai SIPG over in China. And he played for the national team over there. Uh, got almost 50 caps uh, between 2009 and 16. But again, their bread gets buttered on defense, 
And for that, they ha- they get to credit what seems to be a late bloomer in my mind, uh, another singularly named guy, Everson. He has spent his entire career with Brazilian clubs, something of a veteran. He's never played for the national team, never been anywhere over in Europe. He's always stayed in country. As far as this team's form, they have not lost a match since all the way back July 1st, except Bahia, kind of a so-so club in the league two matches ago. But that was in the FA Cup that I'll point out. Uh, And I don't think that the top teams in Brazil are taking that event particularly serious this year based on other losses that I've seen from other teams. In any case, moving on to the challenger, although I hesitate to call them that, this is a real powerhouse of the country. Palmyras. They play out of a city called Perdizes in Sao Paulo. It's got about 100,000 people. It's in the northwestish uh, part of the greater city. Used to be an incredibly poor farm area. Now it's the most highly industrialized part of the entire metro. Mascot-wise, they've also had some changes. They used to be the parakeet, which is still acknowledged. Now they are known as the pig. And I guess that is a mascot that is a nod to uh, the Italian roots of the club. This particular part of Sao Paulo uh, was largely uh, colonized or had a lot of people from Italy move in uh, decades and decades ago, and this was their homage to them. In fact, when the club was first uh, founded, rather, it was called Palestra Italia. They, too, are in the Champions League right now, and they're about to place a very good team from their own country, Sao Paulo, in the quarterfinal. The Champions League, they've won that twice, most recently, just last year. Yeah, they're the defending champions. They've also won the league more times than anybody else in the country, and that is 10. That said, uh, they won it in 2018 and 2016, but those are their only titles this century. Like I said, it's hard to stay on top in Brazil. As a fun side note, I learned that uh, like a lot of clubs, they offer more than football. This club is one of the best ones in the country, if not perhaps the very best in national roller hockey. They have a bunch of national titles. Go figure. Last year, they finished in seventh place in the league. This year, number one on offense. So rock, meet, hard place for this particular match. They've also got a top four defense, and they are also tied for number one on goal differential. Top 10 league-leading score, Breno Lopez is there. He's 25-year-old forward. But the guy that really makes everything tick, number one on assists is Gustavo Scarpa. I, I happen to find a picture of him on a profile for a source I used. And I, I mean this with love, but, and I hope I'm not dating myself here, but he ought to be called the Brazilian Urkel. If he wears his glasses somehow in the matches, you will see what I mean if you happen to catch this on Paris. Mount Plus. He's an attacking midfielder who's been here since 2016. This year, he was also the player of the month for the entire league in June. As for this team's form, they had won every single match since late June, but they just lost to Fortaleza, and the match before that, they drew in league to Sao Paulo. Now, those are two very, very good teams, but they're still dropped points. As far as my thoughts, if you caught last week's episode, you know that Monairo is my pick to win the entire Copa La Boyertadores, so I've got to pick them against any league team at home. Match number B. That's right. My daughter listens well to her father, and we believe that the phrase number two you. It's bathroom talk. We all know what it means. Join the revolution. Never use that phrase if you can in your daily lives. Why not do something more couth? This is going to be match number B. And we're headed to Europe for it, to the women's side of the ball, Norway specifically, for a league called the Top Sarian, the women's top flight there. It's ranked number 14 in Europe. Uh, the top two from this league are going to get Champions League bursts, but they have to start all the way back in the first round. They're just over halfway through the domestic season here. And your matchup, it's another top two. It is number one, IL Sandviken versus number B, Rosenberg. Here's how the table looks. Sandviken lead by one. Rosenberg in turn lead a perennially excellent team that I'm surprised is behind it all. Valeringa by five. Sandviken won the road match against Rosenberg earlier this season, nil two. And they have an advantage in the overall or at least most recent series with a four, six and one record. Looking at the two, we'll start at the home team, Sandviken. That is actually the name of the neighborhood that they represent, which is in the Bergen House district of the city of Bergen, which is the second biggest metro area in all of Norway. Uh, the Bergen House district is in the city center of Bergen. It's got maybe about 50,000 people. The overall city has more like uh, 300,000. Last year, they finished in fourth place, didn't get to go to international play. Uh, what I can say with 
sort of confidence is that's the best they've done in a long time. I haven't been able to find uh, easy records of seasons any prior to anything prior to like 2004. This year so far, they are undefeated and only one team has even managed to draw. They've got the third best offense going over two and a half goals per match. And on defense, number one, they only let in a goal on average every other match, which is good for the second best goal differential in the league. Uh, Their top score, expect her to be moving on to probably a uh, more southerly Europe league before too long, as she's only 20 years old, midfielder Elizabeth Turland. Uh, Their form, they've won five straight, and they've got a 14-3 goal differential over that stretch. Meanwhile, trying to play spoiler, it is Rusenberg, which is actually a residential area in the city of Trondheim. History experts will recognize the name. That was the capital of the country during the Viking Age. It's now a huge university, a really big professional IT tech city. They've got over 200,000 people there. It's the third biggest uh, one in the country, and it's in the north central coast part of the country. I think this is the most northerly top flight team in the league. If the name isn't familiar, well, that's because they had a different name until last year. They used to be known as Trondheim's Orn, but now they've switched their name to match uh, the team of the same name on the men's side. They've won the league title seven times. I don't know exactly when but just that none of those have been since 2003. Last year, they finished in second place. That qualifies them for the current Champions League, which just about to get started. We're going to be talking about that in next week's episode. Uh, number four on offense, number two on defense this year. They're, they've got uh, their top score by lots and lots is a gal named Lisa Marie Utland. She's an attacker. And if you follow the women's game in England, you may know her name. She played for Reading last year. Their form, well, they've obviously also been doing very well. But again, they lost to Sandviken just two matches ago. Match number three. Now we flip the calendar to Sunday and we're headed back stateside. Major League Soccer brings us the Cascadia Derby, the Pacific Northwest, where number B, Portland Timbers, is taking on number six, the Seattle Sounders. Currently, Portland trail by one, and uh, the team they're trailing is Kansas City for first place. Seattle lead three teams that are all tied for number eight, uh, by two points in the table. I will point out that that may well have changed between the time that I first scouted this match and the time that I'm recording. That can happen for all these matches, especially with MLS, since they have a lot of midweek games quite often. Now, sometimes I like to take a break from just covering the footy and do something a little bit different, where we'll learn something different about an area, and that's going to be this case, which because we're going to do another MLS match later. Something uh, cool, weird, and interesting that I discovered is a different sort of athletic or sporting event that takes just outside of Portland in Tualatin. Hope I'm getting the pronunciation right. They have a uniquely weird sport, and it is called the West Coast Giant Pumpkin Regatta. This is a boat race, and... Yeah, they're not building something that looks like pumpkins. They're actually carving out the biggest pumpkins I've ever seen and actually row or paddle them across the lake in a giant race. And they do it in October, so I'm a little out of season mentioning this. They get dressed up in incredibly weird outlandish costumes to do this. I don't have a punchline or anything else about that. It's just that we do a lot of footy and sometimes I like to look at other things. So Google it up yourself and see if you can see if it's for real. Match Match number four. This is another Sunday match and we're staying within our most local confederation here called CONCACAF, but we're going to get about as far away from the United States as you could possibly get and still be in it. Say hello to the Grenadian Premier Division. Yeah, Grenada, a country of maybe just over 100,000 people is all. Island country, part of the West Indies, just to the northeast of Venezuela. Again, they are CONCACAF members, but... If this league isn't terribly familiar to you or any of the clubs, well, I don't believe they've ever sent one of their teams to international play, at least the major tournaments within CONCACAF, even though their champion every year does technically qualify. Uh, That said, even though their champion does qualify, but they choose not to send them for some reason, this league does relegate two teams every single year. Yeah. Island country of only 100,000, but they've got at least two recognized leagues in the system of pro row. Go figure. Now, the season only appears to be about 16 matches long, which is a little bit weird because a double round robin wouldn't mean that they're playing 18. But in any case, they're just over halfway through the season either way. And your matchup is number one, Paradise, versus number B, Hurricanes. They are currently tied on points in the table. Uh, Paradise lead by six on goal differential. 
Hurricanes won the first match earlier this season 2-1. to one. We'll talk about the home team first, Paradise, or more specifically, Paradise FC International. They play out of the largest parish or district on the island called St. Andrew. It's got about a third of the country's population there. Uh, it borders the East Coast, but this city is actually more centralized in the country, far west of the district. Uh, history buffs may know that the French were back here in the mid-17th century, and this district specifically had a different name called Morn de Combat, or Gloomy Fight. I'm glad that uh, you know St. Andrew and Paradise sound a lot happier. This team has won five league titles in their history, most recently 2018, also four FA Cup titles most recently 2016. This year, they have been a wonder statistically. Number one on offense, scoring over three per match, and they've only allowed eight goals in their 11 matches that they've played, and that is good for first place in that category as well. They started off only kind of so-so, 1-1-1 one, one, and one for their form, but they have won every match since then. Meanwhile, playing out of Victoria in the parish of St. Mark is Hurricanes, whereas they were first founded and known as Carib Hurricane Singular FC. They're from probably the smallest or at least least populated district on the island, that being St. Mark, northwest part of the island, maybe only 4,000 people. Mount St. Catherine is here, tallest mountain on the country, probably the thing it's most famous for, perhaps. It's an active and yet dormant volcano. It gets studied a lot because it hasn't erupted since the Ice Age, even though technically it's active. Uh, they have won the league title five times, most recently 2017-18, second best across the board in all statistical categories. Uh, my thoughts on this, both teams are amazing. It's easy to pick the home team just because they're at home, but I am picking Paradise for more than that. They have outscored their last five opponents 20-4. to four. You just can't bet against that. Match number five. New Bites, if I may, lovingly refer to you as such. You deserve a break after a good weekend like that of tracking, so you get Monday off that we didn't have any qualifying matches there. We flip the calendar forward to Tuesday for a match here in CONCACAF once again, this time in Mexico, the top light, Liga MX. There are only three matches into the Apertura or opening stage uh, for uh, fans who have found this particular podcast because of the noob in my name. I will explain that Mexico and most Latin American countries, in fact, divide their soccer year into two seasons, an apertura or opening season, and then a clausura or closing season. And those are each single round robins instead of the more traditional uh, Europeans say uh, double round robin, single long season. In any case, the top 12 teams are all going to make the postseason after each of these two stages. The top four automatically advance to the quarterfinals. And we have got a doozy of a match. Number one, Toluca taking on number three, Mazatlan. At least that's where they were in the table when I scouted this. There could have been a lot of big changes since then, even, even over just a couple of days, because the season is so young. In any case, at the time I scouted it, Toluca led four different clubs, including Mazatlan, by two points in the table. In the very brief series between these two clubs, officially anyway, explanation coming on that a little bit later, they've each won one game, 1-0-1 one, oh, one for their records. You can catch this on TUDN. I believe that used to be Univision Sports, or Univision Deportes, rather, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, should you choose. First, Toluca, the Red Devils. They play out of a town of the same name. It's about 40 miles south and west of Mexico City, give you some geographic perspective. It's the fifth biggest metro area in the country, just a shade under a million people. Uh, it's really known as a, sort of a young or internationally corporate city. That's where they're heavier than, say, industry. And something fun I found about this. Now, chorizo is from the Iberian Peninsula, the sausage. Uh, I like looking at food things as well as the art and architecture and uh, alternate sports that I mentioned before. But this area is particularly known for the chorizo that they produce. It's sort of the home of Mexican chorizo. And they specifically make a green variety of there. It's a different color than the regular one because of a lot of the different spices that they use. So famous for it, in fact. And I hope this isn't derogatory. I didn't see anything that hinted at it. But chorizo is actually a nickname for the people of Toluca. In any case, back to the footy. They won the CONCACAF Champions League twice, most recently, 2003, 10 league titles to their credit, most recently a decade ago or so, 2010. Last year, they finished only number 11 in the Clausura or closing season stage. They made the quarterfinals in the playoffs. This year, undefeated 
with an eight and two goal differential. That plus six gives them uh, the, they're twice as good as anybody else in goal differential right now. But again, it's early. Number one offense, not the number one defense. We'll see how things shake out after a few more matches. None of the opponents that they played to. Per- be perfectly honest, are historically strong teams, and none of them right now are in the top half of the league. So it'll be fun to see if Toluca can stay up with some of the more traditional powers as the Clausura moves on. Best all-around player they've had so far is probably Rubens Sambuesa. He's an Argentinian right midfielder long in the soccer team, 37 years old. Two goals and four assists already, though. Spent the heart of his career with CF America, which is probably the uh, all-around best club in the entirety of our CONCACAF Federation. He spent two seasons with Toluca before, and now he is back. And now for the seemingly slightly less familiar team, Mazatlan. They play in the state of Sinaloa. Uh, giving you, again, some geographical perspective. If you can imagine where uh, Baja, California is, it sticks way down. Basically, you could take a ferry from part of Sinaloa in Mazalan specifically, short ferry ride to La Paz at the very southern tip, more or less, of Baja, California. Area's got over a half a million people, and Mexico has just been itching to get a football team in there. They're doing everything they can to make sure every big population base is served because they want to make sure that their uh, top couple of leagues are very financially sound. It hasn't always gone so well for the second league. It's actually sounded historically like baseball and basketball are more popular in this particular city than football. Interesting to see if that can change. This team is... The Canyoneros, or the Gunboats, pretty cool mascot. And now for the explanation on the brief series. This is not exactly a new club. Officially, it was founded just over a year ago, but fans of the league will know this was Monarchus Morelia, a longtime uh, member of Liga MX. Basically, their club got moved here. I'm not super familiar with uh, if there was a mass exodus of players and just how new the club is I, in that particular way. I don't think that they are officially hanging on to the historical records that belong to Monarchus Morelia. So we're going to save a little time and not talk about that history. I'll simply say that last year in the Clausura, they finished only in 13th place. They are 2-1-0 this year, 5-2 goal differential. Best all-around player has been Nestor Vidrio, a cornerback, and I love see, or a center back rather. I think in American football for a moment with my abbreviation, and he's got a goal already. I love seeing the defensive players get in on the offensive stats. Great passer if you're watching this. Poor tackler so far, which is a little bit unusual for that position. This guy has spent his entire career with various Mexican clubs and was just with Puebla the last two seasons. Person noob imitating our kitties for no particular reason that has come to signify it's time to take a break from tracking the upcoming week's matches and do what we purport to do in our podcast name. That is mainly track. Let's do a recap of last episode's matches. Match number one out of Major League Soccer, number eight in the West. Portland Timbers took on number seven, Real Salt Lake, and it was Portland coming out on top at home three to two. Portland climb up to number six, and now Real Salt Lake are down to number eight. Match number B, the top flight in the U.S. women's soccer scene, the NWSL. We had number four, Washington Spirit, taking on number one, Portland Thorns, and Portland came out on top, nil one. That drops Washington all the way down to sixth place. Match number three was a Sunday match. Once again, Major League Soccer. Number six, D.C. United in the East took on number eight, Club de Foot Montreal. And the result was a 2-1 win for D.C. That didn't lead to a change in position for either team. Match number four, we went far from the U.S. to Ghana, the African continent, for an FA Cup match between Ashanti Gold and Premier League winners Heart of Oak. And it was Heart of Oak coming out on top nil-nil. Now they won it 7-8 on penalty kicks. Tuesday, match number five, UEFA Champions League third qualifying round, the second leg of a uh, second match of a two-legged home and away tie. We chose to focus on Ludogorets Razgrad and Olympiakos out of Bulgaria and Greece, respectively. The result was a 2-2 draw. The first match had gone 1-1, and so they had to go to penalty kicks, and it was the Bulgarians coming out on top, 4-1. Match number six, we went to CONCACAF League, a preliminary round, once again the second match of a two-legged tie, or it should have been, between Panama's Universitario 
and Martinique's Samaritane, but, and I'm guessing this was COVID-related, Samaritane didn't end up coming for either match. That allowed Panama to move forward with what's called a 3-0 walkover. They will play Matagua out of Honduras in the round of 16. Wednesday, match number seven, Conmebol, South America, their Copa Libertadores. We looked at the first match of a two-legged tie in the round of 16 between River Plate out of Argentina and Atletico Monairo from Brazil, and it was Monairo noobs prediction, yay for me, coming out on top, no one. Thursday, match number eight, back to UEFA for the tertiary international club tournament. The Europa Conference League, once again, a third qualifying round, second match of a two-legged home-and-away tie. From Israel, Hapoel Beersheba took on Schlausk Wrocław out of Poland. Still hard for me to say. I've got to really concentrate on it. And in any case, it was a route for the Israelis. They won 4-0, so they win the overall two-legged tie 5-2, and they will advance. They got a hat trick in this game from Eugene Ansa. Match number nine, back to CONCACAF for a Champions League semifinal match. First match of a two-legged tie, America, Club America specifically at Liga MX, took on the Philadelphia Union, and it was Club America coming out on top 2-0. Match number 10, the Europa League had a third qualifying round Uh, the second match of a two-legged tie, and we looked at HJK out of Finland taking on FK Nefci out of Azerbaijan. The first leg had been a 2-2 draw, but the Finns, they absolutely dominated in the second one at home. They won 3-0, and so they will advance with their 5-2 aggregate win. For one of the first of our three bonus matches, explanations coming later. The route of the week, a Saturday match from Bolivia. We saw last place San Jose take on first place. The strongest, and it was the strongest coming out. Yeah, that's really their name. Uh, nil one, a man of the match possibility that we said to look for. Jair Reynoso got a score. San Jose had the misfortune of losing a guy in the 55th minute to two quick yellows, and so their fate was sealed. The second of our bonus matches was a Tuesday match, the most meaningless match in the world. From the USL Championship, America's second tier of competition, number seven New York Red Bulls reserve side, number two team, took on number six Charlotte Independence, and it was Charlotte coming out on top in a shootout. Two to three was the winning score. I thought that was going to be a defensive match where Charlotte may be earning a tie. Surprise, surprise. And then finally, the match of Mr. Point disappointed, a Monday match between two class last place teams from the Kyrgyzstan Premier League, who was last place, Karabalta, taking on number seven, Ilbers Bishkek, and fittingly, it went to a 1-1 draw. That concludes last episode's recap. Let's dive right back into the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. Another Tuesday match and another match within our confederation, CONCACAF, but this time we're headed to the Great White North, Canada, for the Canadian Championship. Note that this is not the Canadian Premier League. This is essentially their FA Cup. Here in America, we call ours the U.S. Open Cup. In any case, who gets to participate in this tournament? The three major league soccer teams that play in Canada are all in this, as are all eight of the Canadian Premier League teams, plus the champions of the uh, Tier 3 leagues. They don't have any Tier 2 leagues, which is a little bit weird. I think it's a financial designation thing. Anyway, the winners of two leagues called the Premier League Soccer de Quebec and Ontario's League One also get to participate in this annually, and the winners get to go to the CONCACAF Champions League. Matchup I pick out of this preliminary round match, they're fighting for a first-round berth, is HFX Wanderers out of the Premier League versus A.S. Blainville, and they play out of that PLSQ, one of those semi-pro leagues. The winners are going to get to play Club de Foot Montreal from Major League Soccer next round. That's one of the teams that got to buy. They're not playing a preliminary round match. First, we'll talk about HFX, which, as you probably would have guessed, are based in Halifax, the Wanderers. They were founded three years ago. I love the slogan that's right on the crest because it's in Scottish Gaelic. Our harbor, our home, our soul. This Nova Scotia is one of the few places in the entire world where Scottish Gaelic is still spoken. So I'm really glad that they uh, paid homage to that. Last year, they were second place in the league, and they also were the playoff runners-up. Right now, they're only in seventh place, but they've got a couple of games in hands against some of the teams. That said, they've got to get the offense in gear. They have tied for the worst offense. They're not even managing a goal per game right now. They're tied for fourth place in defense, and that's only good for a top six goal differential overall, which is really telling. This team is not doing nearly as well as last year. 
Tied for number one in league scoring for the CPL is Joao Morelli out of Brazil, Ford, 25 years old. Uh, he has been all over the world to play his soccer. I love resumes like these. Most recently, for example, he played for FC Lavadia, which is in Estonia of all places. He's also had some, uh, he said, not some appearances. He actually didn't make any, strangely enough. I think he might have been with the youth teams. He was with uh, Middlesbrough and Fleetwood Town over in England. Meanwhile, A.S. Blainville out of Quebec. Again, semi-professional tier three. Uh, that entire league was only founded in 2012. This team, they are the four-time defending champions. They've also won something called the League Cup in 2016 and in 17. I have a feeling that's just teams in their league. In any case, right now they're only in fifth place in their league, 10 matches in. Fourth best offense, third best defense. So not exactly on fire this year either, if not exactly uh, crapping the bed, so to speak. And they do have a game or two in hand on the clubs that are above them. Currently, however, uh, they're trailing a club called CS Mont Royal Autremont. Sorry, my French is lousy, by seven points in the table. It's going to be hard not to go with the Canadian Premier League players since they're played, but it'll still be really fun to see how this turns out. Match number seven. We forge ahead in the week to Wednesday for our seventh match, and we're back to Major League Soccer. We talked, well, we didn't exactly talk about the match out of the Western Conference. We learned about a giant pumpkin race instead. But this time, we actually are going to do a mini preview for our Eastern Conference representative match. And it is number B, Philadelphia Union, taking on number four, NYCFC, a match that you can find on ESPN Plus at 7.30 Eastern in the evening. When I scouted it, both of these teams were actually tied with each other and with Nashville, all at 28 points in the table, so simply separated by goal differential. NYCFC and their somewhat brief history have really dominated the series. They've got a 9-1-4 record against Philly, and they won earlier this season 2-0, although that was back in May. First, we'll talk about the union. Uh, they last won the uh, last year. They won the supporter shield. I should say they had the best record of the entire league, and then they bombed out of the playoffs in the very first round. This is a team that has just got to be absolute itching to get back there, and I hope that they don't, for their own sake, end up falling into the trap of looking too far ahead against any particular teams and thinking about the playoffs. Top six offense, they're better on defense. Uh, they've got the third best one in the conference for that. And it all starts with uh, their uh, second best goalkeeper in the entire league is Andre Blake. He's from Jamaica, 30 years old, and I believe he's been there for his entire career. Now, their all-around best player, I think, outside of him is their Dutch-born midfielder, Hamiro Monteiro. He actually reps internationally for Cape Verde, either through his uh, uh, parents' or uh, grandparents' lineage. In any case, the team form, and this is going to be key for both of these teams. Now, they looked pretty okay in a 1-2 loss to first place in the conference, New England. Not too bad. But in their last five matches, their only win is against last place Toronto, and they've only outscored teams 7-6 to six in their last five. They're just not really getting off on their best foot lately. Meanwhile, NYC coming to town, the Pigeons, who are owned by City Football Group, which also in Manchester City, over in the Premier League. So if you like your teams nice and rich, this is not the team for you. They've got the second best offense in the league going, a top five defense, not too bad. Good enough that they've got the number one overall goal differential in the conference. That is really, really impressive and surprising considering that it's the New England Revolution, number one in the conference, that lead the league by, at the time that I scouted this match, 12 points in the table. Just a really big oddity there. In any case, for the scoring leaderboard in all of MLS, theirs is Jesus Medina, 24-year-old Paraguayan, also on the assist leaderboard, and I think they're all-around best player. Uh, Maximiliano Morales, he's a 34-year-old Argentinian attacking midfielder. I personally like watching him just because he's like five foot two. You just look like he's kind of photoshopped on my screen every once in a while, but he is excellent. He spent the heart of his career in Serie A over in Italy, one of the best leagues in the world with a very good team at Atlanta. Their current form, also not looking all that great. In their last two matches, they have only managed draws against two of the three, I believe, worst teams in the league, the aforementioned FC Toronto and the Chicago Fire. That said, they haven't lost a match since July 17th. So as far as the noob thoughts, I would be terrified to gamble on this game. 
my gut instinct tells me that Philadelphia is going to bounce back performance-wise at home, but I think they're going to be tired because they've also been playing in the CONCACAF Champions League. They just lost nil two at Club America from Liga MX a few days ago. I think that NYC FC are going to be able to manage a draw out of this one. Match number eight. Another midweek match Wednesday. We're going to visit the AFC Cup. That's the Asian Football Confederation. This is an international club tournament, but I always like to give just a little bit of background on this for anybody who might not be familiar with football over there or people who might be somewhat like me, new to following the sport at all. Like all of the uh, the confederations in FIFA, the Asian one also has a Champions League. Their secondary tournament is a little bit different than everybody else's, though. Their Champions League is mostly for the best teams from the very top leagues. The champions of all the leagues do not get to go. Some of those go to this event, the AFC Cup. That's a little bit of an oversimplification, but there you have it. This is designed by the AFC more for what they call soccer-developing countries, smaller nations, uh, poorer nations, and to some degree places like India that are big and have some money, but maybe where football isn't the biggest sport necessarily. In any case, uh, this event is in its group stage. All of the groups have finished playing except for one. This one is Group D, and they're just getting started, strangely enough, on their group stage. Things get really spaced out for this particular event as far as the calendar. Group D has four clubs in it. And uh, this matchup that we're going to be looking at, out of Bangladesh, their reigning champions, uh, Basundara Kings, are taking on a club called either Mazia or Mazaya. I couldn't find a pronunciation easily. In any case, they play out of Maldives. And uh, the winners of this group are going to get to play Nasaf out of Uzbekistan in an interzonal semifinal. Uh, the Asian Confederation, they divide everything into all the countries into five zones. And so the winner of this particular one is going to have to play the winner of a different zone in order to advance any further, as opposed to directly to the knockout stage. In any case, Bossandora Kings, uh, uh, kind of like a team we talked about earlier. If you, uh, if you like your teams nice and rich, then this is the one for you. They play in Dhaka, the capital, as do a lot of the teams in the uh, Bangladeshi Premier League, in a very swanky upscale residential area of that same name. Now, the uh, Bangladeshi Premier League is rated number 25 in the AFC, just to lend some perspective. That's just a little bit below average for the entire confederation. This team was founded just eight years ago, and they won Division II on their very first try in 2017. So they are new, and they are already the perennial power, it seems like. They were supposed to have played in the AFC Cup last year for the first time, but because of COVID, they just canceled the entire thing. They just won the BPL by 15 over a team that's also very good every year, Dhaka Abahani. That actually qualifies them for the 2022 AFC Cup. Things are, again, a little bit skewed because of the calendar. How do they do it? Number one on offense, two and a half goals per match. Number one defense, allowing less than a goal every other match. That might be the first time I've ever seen that. Number one league scorer is theirs to boast of, a Brazilian named... Uh, Robinho, 25-year-old midfielder, Brazil exports just to everywhere. All the Asian countries, they, the club teams, they use their, uh, they use their uh, foreign. They're usually allowed something like say four or five uh, foreign player spots per team, and Brazil just fills those up everywhere. This guy's actually on loan here from a Brazilian club, a pretty good one called Fluminense. Number one in the league on assists, another Brazilian, 26-year-old midfielder, Fernandes. Botafogo had him last year, but he, they, uh, the last couple seasons, but they had loaned him out. Now he is actually with Basundara on his own contract. And they've got the number one goalkeeper from that league, Anasur Zico, a homegrown guy, 23, a penalty kick specialist. So if this thing goes into penalties, you definitely want to try to slide some money on the Kings. Now we'll talk about uh, Mazaya or Mazia. They are the green boys, I believe, basically based on the color in their crest. They play out of the capital of Malay, which actually all the teams in their top flight are from the capital. This is the number 26 AFC ranked league. So they're right there with Bangladesh's. This should be a very even match, I believe. Uh, they won the league by nine points in just 14 matches over second best Valencia. They went 10, four and oh, not losing, not used to losing. And why should they be number one offense? Number one defense, another club that only lets in less than a goal every other match. 
They've actually made several AFC Cup appearances since 2013, have gotten to the group stage before as well, but never passed it. Match number nine. Still on Wednesday and back close to home again. And may I CONCACAF you, my fine people. This event we're going to be looking at is called the CONCACAF League. It's in the round of 32 right now. This is going to be the second match of a two-legged home-and-away tie. The top six clubs in this event are going to advance to the CONCACAF Champions League. That's right. This is a secondary or feeder tournament for the CCL. The match we're going to be looking at is CD Marathon out of Honduras versus Darion Hen FC out of Nicaragua. Uh, Marathon won the first match nil to one. So they really have the advantage now here getting to play the second one at home. The winners are going to get to play Real Esteli, also out of Nicaragua. And if your cable or satellite package runs deep enough, you can catch this on FS2 at 10 p.m. Eastern time. First, your home side, Marathon. They are the Green Monster or Green Bellies. I like seeing those kind of fun mascots. They play out of a city that not everybody thinks is quite so fun, San Pedro Sula. It's in the northwest part of the country, metro area about one and a half million. It's the second biggest uh, metro area in the country, and it's the industrial hub of the nation. Uh, They've had some trouble in recent years, though. Uh, Hurricane Mitch just devastated the economy down there in 2013. The manufacturing sector has started to liven up again, but this time, uh, as opposed to other things from before, it's now known more for its clothing and apparel manufacturing. But this is the reason it's not quite so popular. I would love to see this uh, team play sometime, but maybe on the road. Uh, San Pedro Sula is one of the murder capitals of the world. I believe right now they're ranked number three in murders per capita. Uh, when they were at their peak just a few years ago, they were ha- they were uh, number one in the charts with over three murders per day. Yikes. Okay, back to the footy. Uh, their Liga Nacional, the top flight there, is probably oh, the fourth best one in CONCACAF. Uh, second best in Central America behind Costa Rica, arguably. And this is one of the big four domestic clubs from the country. In fact, they were just recently ranked by a body called the IFFHS as one of the top 400 clubs in the world. Champions League-wise, they lost to Portland this year uh, in the round of 16. They've also made the quarterfinals a couple times, both times within the 2010s most recently. As far as the CONCACAF lead, they advanced to the quarterfinals last year. In-country, nine league titles. I think the most recent time they won it was the Clausura 2018 stage. Uh, 2020-21, they had the best aggregate record for a team that did not win the Apertura or Clausura. So they got the number three, the last bid out of this country. They are a distant third in quality probably last year, to be honest, to Olympia and Matagua. Still, it'll be fun to see how far they can advance. Last year in the Clausura, they finished number four out of five teams. Not so great. So they had a very good apertura to get that overall kind of third best record. They didn't even get to make the league playoffs, in fact. They were tied for the worst offense in the group. They did, however, have the second best defense. What offense they do manage to get, look for this name in the box score, tied for uh Team lead in scoring is Edwin Solano, 25-year-old attacker. Meanwhile, Darion Hen, they are known as the Caciques, which uh, has a number of translations to English. Sporting-wise, I think it probably perhaps best translates to the Chiefs. They play out of Diriamba, city of about 70,000, 25 miles south of the capital of Managua. They were founded all the way back in 1917. This is not only one of the oldest in the country, but one of the oldest clubs in all of Central America. That said, the league is not one of the strongest ones. It's probably the second-to-worst league in all of Central America, only ahead of Belize. I'd put them at about number 12 overall in CompuCAF for league associations. They qualified for this event by winning uh, last year's Clausura stage there. They have won at least 27 league titles, which I think is good for second-best in the country. To be honest, their heydays were quite a while back. The halcyon years of the 1940s was when they dominated Nicaraguan football. Not quite as much recently, to be honest. That said, last stage, they had the best offense going, scoring two goals per match, and the second-best defense. Their best all-around offensive player is probably Danilo Zuniga. He is a midfielder who is 24 years old. And match number 10. We're done. Finally. Well, we won't quite be done, Daughter Dares, Person Noob. After all, we still do have the super fun three bonus matches after this. But nevertheless, let's do match number 10 
first, and we're heading back to Europe and once again to the women's side of the game. Their Champions League is just beginning the first round. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was going to get to start talking about this next week, having somehow already completely forgotten that there was a match this week that we were going to get to have some notes on and talk about. So here's what's going on. The first round has 43 teams. They're going to divide those into mostly groups of four. I realize the math wouldn't work out otherwise. That didn't qualify straight into the uh, second round or the group stage. Now, what's happening with those groups is the four teams are going to play a little mini knockout bracket each, and they're all going to be at one non-neutral site. Neither of the teams we're talking about today is going to be a home team. This is going to be neutral. This is a knockout bracket, single leg, one host for each side, as I mentioned, and your matchup is RSC Anderlecht out of Belgium versus Hayasa out of Armenia. I hadn't even known for sure they had a Premier League. They do. But let me tell you, I had a harder time finding out any information about this league or club than I have had for just about anything in a long time. Uh, they are playing in a little group that is called Tournament Number 3, and that is uh, being hosted by one of the other participants, Osijek, out of Croatia. First, Anderlecht. Uh, that is the club, and that is also the name of one of the 19 municipalities in the Brussels capital region of the country. About 125,000 people here. It borders Brussels proper from the southwest. club was founded in 1971. used to have a fun name called Brussels Dames 71. They changed it to the current name in 93. Uh, they're, I believe, seated number 13 of all the teams that are having to start out in this particular round. Their, their Super League is number 23 in the UEFA ranking, so just a little bit better than average. It's a pretty young league. It was only created in 2015, although women's uh, professional or semi-professional football has been there for a lot longer. Until very recently, in fact, they used to have a co-sort of Premier League with the Netherlands. Given that there's not necessarily a lot of parity in these leagues when it comes to women's football, I wish that there were more regional leagues like that, and there are or have been a couple. Here's to hoping that they can reform some of those. This team is the four-time defending champions of the Super League. They have won 10 top flight titles of their country. That is the most of any club. Last year, they went 17-0-1. And, and how did they even lose one with a 95-5 to against goal differential? Just mind-blowing. Uh, they won the league by nine points over standard Liege. Last year in the Champions League, they lost in the second qualifying round. And now Hayasa, or if you look it up, you might also find it as Hayasen with an N on the end. Uh, they won the 2021 Women's Super League in Armenia. What little information I could find is this. I don't know how much they won the league by, but it was probably a lot. 41 points is how many they had in the table over 15 matches. So nearly won all their matches. Again, how did anybody even get a draw against them? 162 goals for five goals against it's was anybody even showing up with the youth teams i'm not sure they play out of a town that i'm probably butchering the pronunciation of it's spelled g-y-u-m-r-i but i believe it's pronounced yumri or even yumi i looked up a few it's got maybe 150,000 people used to be a fair bit about 25 percent bigger than that but uh back in the 80s earthquake spitak absolutely decimated this area it's largely industrial. One of their biggest industries is brewing, which makes it one of my favorite teams already. I want to try out a couple of their brands that they're more famous regionally for, uh, Ararat and Alexandropol. The latter is uh, a former name of this city, in fact. And something a little fun I like to talk about, as we mentioned, lots of different things that aren't footy related. This area is also a big arts and culture center, particularly for Armenian folk music. The founder of the sound that still sounds a lot the same to this day, he was actually born and performing all the way back in the mid-late 1800s, is a guy named Giovanni, and I will let the management play us out with some music that he has for us. And now, after that rock and roll, time for the three bonus matches. This is my favorite part of the podcast, perhaps, and in large part because this is where you, the listener, have had a chance to help decide what matches we're going to discuss. How is that? Simple. Polls on Twitter. You can find me there as Soccer Noob USA. I put out these polls early in the week. You get to vote, and the magic content happens. Things will all soon become very clear. The first of the three bonus matches is a first versus last place match from somewhere in the world that we like to call the... Route, 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 route of 
of, of, of. The week, 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 week. And guess what? We're going to conquer Kafia one more time. It's my show. I don't need a reason. Anyway, it's the Saturday match. Once again, from MLS, last place, Toronto, that we have been scorning versus number one, New England, which we've also mentioned. They get to face off in which in what should be a roadkill scenario, even with the Revs on the road. It's going to be on ESPN Plus Saturday at 8 in the evening. Toronto currently trail Miami and Cincinnati by one as they would try to get out of the cellar. Good for them that there's no relegation in Major League Soccer, I guess. Meanwhile, New England lead uh, Orlando, I believe, when I last looked, by 10 points. This series overall has been pretty even. Uh, New England leads over the last almost 30 matches, 9-8-8 and with that record. That said, Toronto did beat them on the road earlier this season, uh, 3-2. to And they had all three of their goals in under 25 minutes. So this is a team that can find the gas pedal occasionally. And we will talk about them first, the roadkill in waiting, Toronto FC. They only, they've had a bit of a disadvantage, to be honest. They only got to start playing their uh, home games truly at home in mid-July. Because of the pandemic and rules in Canada, uh, they were exiled to Orlando, which that's not the worst place in the world to get exiled, even if it is a city on a swamp that is doomed to nothing but bad things. But that's a discussion for another time. They are also under uh, first-year head coach Chris Armas. Looking back at them a little bit historically, they made the Champions League final just in 2018, and last year they lost in the quarterfinals. So this is a really steep drop for them being in last place in the East. 2017, they won the Supporters' Shield, best record in all of Major League Soccer, and the league title, and they won the aforementioned Canadian Championship. So they got their own Great White North trouble, as I'm sure no one else is calling it. And in fact, they've won that FA Cup six other times since 2009. Last year, they finished in second place in the East, but they bowed out in the first round of the playoffs, oddly enough. New England had gone out early, too. Or no, Philadelphia, excuse me. In any case, the offense is not so much the problem. They're very nearly average in that regard regard overall, number eight in that category. The defense is the bugaboo. Last place, allowing over two goals per match. So bad that they have also the worst goal differential. I don't see much chance that they're going to get be able to catch anybody except for maybe Inter Miami and them only because it's a fairly, you know, young club. Best all-around player that they've got going for them so far is Alex Pozuelo. He is a Spanish central attacking midfielder, spent the heart of his career with Yank over in Belgium, pretty good team. He's also done some time with uh, Swansea City over the Premier League and Real Betis. So a lot of good experience on his resume. This year, one goal and three assists so far. The team's current form is simply 0-2-1 in their last three. Meanwhile, New England, last year they finished number eight uh, in the East, and then they lost in the conference final. As far as their history, CONCACAF Champions League, 2006 was the best they've ever done in that. They made the round of 16. They did win the, our FA Cup that I mentioned before, the U.S. Open Cup in 2007. And they've won the Eastern Conference title twice, but not since 2005. So it's got to be exhilarating for these fans that they are now back up so high once again. Largely due to the offense, number one in that category. And they've also got a top five defense tied for number two in league scoring and probably one of the three guys who could end up as player of the year, Gustavo Bao from Argentina. He's a forward, started his career with uh, River Plate, that super good Argentinian team we talked about earlier. Uh, Two seasons before he was with New England, he was with Tijuana down in Liga MX. Uh, Although one of those years he spent back at another good Argentinian club, a racing club. Number one on assists, and this is the guy who is my favorite to win player of the year right now. I think you would get it. He's got almost twice as many assists as everybody else in the entire league. Another Spaniard, Carlos Gill, attacking midfielder. Uh, He started his career with Valencia over in the Primera Division in Spain, and he has also done time with Aston Villa, now in the Premier League, but I'm sure when he was with them that they were in the second-tier championship. Their current form, 5-1-0 in their last six. They just bounced back from a quirky little home draw against then number two, or, oh, I said it, number B, I said the uncouth phrase, number B, Nashville, to beat Philadelphia 2-1. to one. My thoughts on this, normally I always predict that the route of the week is going to go the way of a 5 nothing score. I think this will be at least comparatively closer. I'm still picking the Revs to win 4-1. to one. 
Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. Yes, a match so unique that we decided it needed its own theme song. But we couldn't be troubled to come up with one on our own, so we ripped off Prince, more or less. In any case, this is a Saturday match, the most meaningless match in the world. What exactly does that mean? Well, these two teams that you have picked out from a slew of other ones that all met the criteria are perfectly equidistant from being high enough in their league tables to get an international tournament berth like Champions League or finishing in last place or down near last place in the relegation zone where they would get kicked out potentially at the end of the year. Hence, the reason you can see that it is meaningless. And we're going to a not-so-meaningless location because I'm sure it is lovely, the Solomon Islands, the S-League there. This is probably the third best league in the Oceania Federation. Uh, New Zealand is easily the best one right now, and the New Caledonia is probably the second best. In any case, the top two teams from this league are going to the Champions League. No teams are getting relegated, and that probably doesn't affect either of these two teams. They're probably about halfway through the season. Or if they're not playing a double round robin, I found some conflicting information. If they're only doing a single round robin because of COVID and uh, scheduling compression and stuff like that, this may be the actual uh, very last match of the season. In any case, it is between number eight, Laogu United, and number seven, Isabel United. Currently, Isabel lead Lago by two in the table. They trail number two Solomon Warriors by eight, so they'd have a lot of climbing to do to get to the Champions League. Meanwhile, Laogu lead number 12 and last place Kula by 10 points. Looking at the home team first, Lago United, they play out of the capital city, as do uh, about three quarters of the teams in this league of Honiara, which is a city of maybe 100,000 people. It's on a main island that may be more historically familiar to you, Guadalcanal, yeah, site of a big World War II battle, uh, one of those where the USA defeated Japan. Something interesting that I found for this, what are the hip kids on Guadalcanal and in Honiara up to? It's funny how uh, when our ec- when the United States or other places' culture get exported, just how long it takes to really take root in some areas. When the kids there are not playing footy, apparently one of the biggest things they're doing all over the streets is freestyle dancing. The step-up movies, You Got Served, are suddenly very popular down there. Everything in that little subgenre. And so all the kids are into this right now. And what are they, like 20 years kind of behind the rest of the world? But hey, they're out in Oceana. Number five offense, defense, and goal differential is theirs. Their current form, while they started the season pretty good, 3-1-0, but they have not won any matches since then, and they have lost three straight. So moving on to Isabel United, that club is on Santa Isabel Island, which is uh, sort of the long, skinny island that is just to the north of the main one, Guadalcanal. About 35,000 people here, and in a way, to me at least, it's stunning that they have a professional or semi-pro or high-end professional or, uh, amateur team, whatever it is, because this is an area, their economy is almost exclusively subsistence-level agriculture. There's very little infrastructure there, so they don't get anything for tourists. And if they did, you'd have a pretty good chance of catching malaria there. It is still very much endemic there. Uh, they're not doing very well statistically. Number nine offense, number eight defense, and number eight overall goal differential. Their form, they have lost three straight and are just one and nine on the year. As for my thoughts on how this match will go, as always for the most meaningless match in the world, I like to project onto them a likely meaningless draw. And now we come to the true end of our podcast road, and we never like to end our episodes on notes of happiness or joy, but rather with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Nothing but consternation and scorn for these two sad sack loser clubs. This is the match of... Disappointed! Just listening to the emotion in Kevin Sorbo's voice, we should all share it, quite frankly, because these teams are doing very, very terribly. And the matchup of two last-place teams from some top flight that you have voted for, well, you actually voted for a Faroe Islands match, but it turns out that that one's going to be played on the 28th. Not sure if they rescheduled or if I was disappointed myself or had a disappointing 
performance in scouting the matches and just messed up on the calendar. In any case, the one that we're going to talk about instead is the League of Ireland Premier Division, a matchup between last place Longford Town and number nine Finn Harps. Now, uh, this particular league is ranked number 38 in UEFA, so a fair bit below average. They're about two-thirds of the way through this summer season. One team's going to get relegated. One team is going to have to fight for their Premier Division lives against the second-place team from the second Irish division in what is called a relegation playoff or relegation playout. These two teams fittingly have tied in their two matchups so far this season, nil-nil and 1-1. Longford Town own the overall series, or at least in more recent years, 12-7-9 is the record. Finn Harps lead Longford Town by 12 points in the table. Yeah, there's Disappointed, and then there's Longford Town. They are definitely going down. However, Finn Harps, they only trail Waterford by two, and they have two matches in hand. Now, Finn Harps, we don't make any excuses. You've been very, very embarrassing this year, and if you come home to visit your mother and me, we're not letting you into the main house proper while anyone is around, and you're sleeping above the garage, you naughty, naughty dogs. You've still been bad. But that said, there is hope that you might be able to catch Waterford. In fact, in fact, I think you're going to going to. I think that uh, Waterford is the worst team. But in any case, first, let's talk about the horror that is Longford Town over there from the north central part of the country in the biggest town in the county of the same name. Only about 10,000 people there. No excuses, as I said, but probably the reason the soccer isn't that strong is because Gaelic football is far more popular here. Now, what is that like? It's somewhat like rugby. It's a little bit more like Aussie football, but they have a larger pitch, and uh, having a lot more space means a lot less rough tackling than you would find down under. And interestingly, this sport is strictly amateur by association rule nationally. Players, coaches, I think even refs are all supposed to be volunteers and unpaid. Nobody makes any money. Longford Town last year, uh, they finished number four in the second division, but they got to particip- uh, participate in uh, that relegation playoff, or when you're in the second di- division, they call it the promotion playoff, of course, and they won that. This is a team that's bounced around a lot back and forth between the top two divisions. They call that a yo-yo team. Historically, they're not completely crappy. They've made three Europa League appearances back in the 2000s. They even won the FA Cup back in 2004. That said, from everything I can find, they have never even finished the top half of the Premier Division. This year, they only have one win in 23 matches. Filled with problems. Worst offense, they only score about, oh, uh, a goal, two goals every three matches on average, and their defense, they allow exactly one and a half per match. Amazingly, Watford's goal differential is just as bad, and given that uh, Finn Harps have a couple games in hand, that's the reason I think Watford Town is the team that's going to end up in the relegation playoff. This team's, I hesitate to call it best all-around player, uh, least unfortunate roster member is Dylan Grimes, central midfielder, 23 years old. He's got four goals, or in other words, most of the offense offense for the entire darn team. Their current form, 1-0-2, oh, but don't get too excited, Longford Town aficionados. That win was not against a Premier League team, but rather against Bangor Green Hills Green Park in the country's FA Cup, or what they call the FAI Cup there. I couldn't even find them listed in the top two divisions, so they're at least in the third, maybe even further down. Their only league win, oddly enough, they opened the season with a win against Derry City, and they have just been nothing but awful since. Meanwhile, Finn uh, Finn Harps, awful but not quite as bad. They play out of the town of Balbify, which I've been practicing the pronunciation of. Hope I got it close because it's spelled like it should be Bally Buffet or something. Very strange. They play out of uh, County uh, Donegal, and they are on the southern bank of the River Finn. They have a twin little tiny village on the north side, and the two together only have about 5,000 people. Uh, County uh, Donegal has about 150,000 people. Like I said, way in the north. In fact, this is almost on the border with Northern Ireland. They've had some historical success, but boy, you've got to go a half century back for it. Three times in the 1970s, they made Europa League appearances, and they weren't even that good then either. They never even got a draw, let alone a win. They did win the FA Cup once as well. Once again, apparently their glory days were back in the 70s. 1973-74 season, they hoisted that trophy. Last year, they finished in eighth place. This year, in 
almost quasi-respectable looking record, 6-5 and 11. They've earned points, gotten results in as many matches as not. But that said, number nine offense, number seven defense, number eight goal differential, just not bueno. Bueno, I'm mixing in my Spanish for an Irish match. Interesting. Okay. Tie for number three in league scoring, so doing just about all of it, is Adam Foley, one of their homegrown attackers. And so, with all that said, what is the prediction that New makes for this match? Well, when it comes to the match of Disappointed, I never pick anything but a nil-nil draw. Nor will I wish luck to these teams like I would to any other two teams in any other matchup in the podcast. Because, as we've discussed, they are very disappointing to make up a new word and are, again, only worthy of our score. And so they, we will send them out thusly. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo. 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 Angry Muppet yelling. Yeah, that's really how we're going to end the show. Hey, you came here for something different, I'm quite sure. Team Noob tries to deliver. <laughs> In any case, I'd like to take a moment to uh, thank some folks to the management. Thank you for all your editing editing, and production wonders. To Dan, my former website, Interno Inferno, for everything that he does for the podcast. To my daughter, Person Noob. Mwah. Love you very much. I'm glad that we get to work on this together. And to you, hey, thanks for finding us. I know there's a lot of shows out there. I'm glad that you found something. I hope you found it unique and worth listening to again and passing on to friends. Ultimately, I hope that you'll join us for next week's track. Until then, have a fabulous footy week. Take care.